right, hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Tim. Hey. So, did I, did I cut you off there? You you had a joke prepared, did you? No, I didn't. I was just going to say <laughs> how you're doing, if that's a joke. <laughs> That's a joke nowadays to ask people how they're doing, right? So. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little bit. So, how are you doing? Yeah, it's um, yeah. Maybe we should take it easy on ourselves and not not phrase "how are you doing" as a as a setup to a, a punchline. I wow, this got dark fast. Did well. It's it's the springtime now. Everyone's. <laughs> You, happy. Sh- you should be doing better. It's nice weather. It's getting warmer. Uh, yeah. Summer vacations are coming. There's a long holiday weekend in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, it's not it's not it's not as bad as you think. No, no, I think <laughs> I don't know how bad I think it is, but <laughs> now I'm gonna start thinking about that. Thanks a lot, Adam. Yeah. I was gonna say there's a bit of hesitation there. <gasps> End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new romantic black comedy drama, which is the Wikipedia description for this film, by the way. I looked it up. It's good. (laughs) Pretty much sums it up. It's the worst person in the world, which you can now stream on demand wherever you get your video on demand movies, whether that is Apple TV or Cineplex or YouTube or wherever. For the first half of the show, though, and this was Tim's idea, since the worst person in the world is a bit of an unconventional romantic comedy itself. Or or to use its, I guess it's its Nor- Norwegian name, uh, Verden Versti Meneski. Meneski? So, Perfect. Yeah, yeah, nailed yeah. it. Um, <laughs> uh, we thought we would talk about three of our favorite unconventional rom-coms. Um, and I guess, you know, how would you define an unconventional rom-com, Tim? See, I didn't, I didn't really know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I saw that worst person in the world, I heard, yeah, it's like this dark romantic comedy. So I thought like unconventional would be, I guess it doesn't go by that standard, you know, just meet, meet cute. And mm. then, I don't know, go mm. to a friend's wedding right and her romance flourishes i I guess it's more just oddball 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 dark yeah the one ones i picked are tend to be more either really oddball or dark nice yeah yeah this is like last week's wizards discussion all over again what is a wizard um but anyway uh (laughs) that turned out to be more complicated than i originally thought when i proposed that topic to candace but let's get to it uh, Tim, what is your first selection for unconventional rom-com? Yeah, my first selection is The 40-Year-Old Virgin from 2005, mm-hmm. a debut film by Judd Apatow. And I would say, for me, it's still his best film. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I saw it, I was expecting a goofy comedy, which it is, and it has a lot. It's really funny. Um, a lot of great improvis- improvisation uh, in the movie. Um, great cast uh, starring Steve Carell, Seth Rogen, Romani, mm-hmm. Malau. 
<laughs> who I haven't heard much about since I think I've seen him in some stuff and Paul Rudd mm-hmm. and Catherine Keener. And I just thought at the time when I saw it, um, and I've seen it a few times since then, I, it's just, it's hilarious, but it has the sort of deep romance underneath mm. and really strong acting. I thought Catherine Keener and uh, Steve Carell really commit to the roles. So they're not just caricatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see what their, their struggles are. Um, Steve Carell being literally a 40 year old virgin who's trying to hide that um, from his coworkers. And it comes out when they're playing poker one night, they realize, okay, um, you've never had sex, but they're very supportive. Um, and they w- want to help him, you know, mm. help him uh, lose it, lose it. <laughs> <laughs> They want to help him lose it. So they've got on that. You've got him on that one end. And then Catherine Keener, really great performance uh, as a single mother. Um, And you can see like her day to day struggles, Mm -hmm. what they're like, what her dreams and ambitions are. Um, She's started a store that's very, very like a 2000, a very 2005 store. It's um, <laughs> a retail store about what you've seen on eBay that you can purchase in person at her store. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just thought there's like the sweetness to it. Um, like there's so many movies around that era that are just rightly or wrongly. I've enjoyed a lot of them, you know, that, really just go for the laughs but this i felt it went for the laughs but there underneath it there's just great character work and uh you know Catherine keener who's done such great work in her career being john malkovich before this get out uh, you know 12 years later mm-hmm. and also uh, steve carell which as anyone who you know watched the american office um knows he he can really dig in on a character and he can show all sides of it he can be hilarious but also just show like sort of like the deep sadness and the melancholy yeah. and the frustration of the character yeah and i thought that was all great and then the supporting roles are awesome too like jane lynch plays his boss um and she's hilarious when she finds out that he's a virgin like <laughs> she's like i can help you out with that you know in that sort of matter of fact um, yeah. way, way that Jane Lynch acts like, let's just do this now. I can give me 10 minutes, you know, we'll, we'll be yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so, and I think, it, I think it really holds up. Uh, and Judd Apatow has done great work since then, but I think he's, he's tried, maybe tried to do a lot more, tried to make, you know, dr- more dramedies. And this just, you know, it puts the comedy first, which I really like. But it just has that undercurrent of sort of real people with real emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's I think it, the reason why it perhaps works in a way that uh, Apatow's latest. I mean, I, I like King of Staten Island just fine, uh, but the bubble doesn't. But, you know, he, this, his style of like sort of mixing scripted and improv only works when you have like people who are good at both. And I think that's, you know, you get Steve Carell, who has like a solid grounding in improv, but is also a really good actor and is capable of, you know, finding things that are finding both the funny and the pathos and characters, as you're talking about. Uh, Paul Rudd, too. Seth Rogen. 
uh, Catherine Keaton, like all these people are like, um, even like side characters in it. You have like Jonah Hill and uh, like that was one of his first big roles uh, was, was like a small role in, in this. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's wall to wall, like ultra talented people. And um, I think that's what, I mean, people who would go on to be famous in their own rights later, um, which is, you know, why that's, that still stands um, as a success. Yeah, and Jonah Hill, his one scene is he he goes into mm-hmm. the e- mm-hmm. eBay store to buy some ridiculous like <laughs> high high heel or platform shoes. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want these shoes. And she's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. And she can't believe he wants those shoes. And then Elizabeth Banks is in it in a supporting role. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really hilarious scene where Steve Carell picks her up at a bookstore because um, I think it's either Paul Rudd or Seth Rogen. One of them says to act like David Caruso. Right. And just like, just answer questions with questions. Just come across like you're the coolest guy in the room kind of thing. Which is like an another like ultra early 2000s reference when, you know, David Caruso um, was star of CSI Miami. Um, was... Uh, I, it was memeable before there was even such a thing as a meme. Um, yeah, that's a good choice. Uh, well, for my first choice, uh, I went with uh, slightly off kilter too. Um, it is Warm Bodies, which uh, is from Jonathan Levine, who's done a lot of like really quirky romantic comedies in his time. Uh, his most recent one was Longshot, which we uh, reviewed on this show, which was about. Uh, a secretary of state of the United States running for president, falling in love with uh, the reporter who is, is has become her ghost speechwriter. Um, <laughs> oddly mismatched players there being Charlize Theron as the secretary of state and Seth Rogen as the speechwriter. Yeah. Um, very believable that those two would get together. But leaving that aside, <laughs> Warm Bodies is um, it takes place in a zombie apocalypse. Um, it stars Nicholas Holt as a zombie who you only ever hear his name as R, uh, which is, I believe is the name he is given, uh, Teresa Palmer, who is, you know, one of these actresses who you notice in various things has never like become an out and out star, but, um, she was in the point break remake and she was in lights out and she's been, she's been in a lot of, she's in tree of life too, I think. So she's been in a lot of things. Um, but she plays a human girl. Uh, her and her fellow survivors go to the airport to look for supplies. Uh, they run into uh, the zombie horde for some strange reason. R feels an attraction, despite him being a zombie. He feels an attraction for the Teresa Palmer character and tries to protect her uh, from the other zombies. Um, and in the course of this, he ends up, I'm going to say, accidentally eating her boyfriend played by uh david franco but because he eats the boyfriend uh the feelings the boyfriend has end up being absorbed by R. so his attraction to the Teresa palmer characters even stronger all right her name's julian um which i should remember because the main character in all first person in the world is also named julie but that's okay um julie um Obviously has no idea what's going on because R can only communicate and, and grunts and things. Um, but a really uh, interesting romance begins um, as R 
tries to help Julie get back to her human colony. And in the process, through love, R starts to become human again, um, which, you know, is a really interesting take on the genre that maybe zombies can become human again through the power of love. And it's, um, it's imperfect. Uh, there are some tremendous challenges. Uh, biggest one being uh, Julie's father, played by John Malkovich, who will not suffer a zombie to live. Um, but uh, challenges are overcome because there, there are the, I guess you could call them the nice zombies, but then there are also like super mean zombies called the bonies who um, will attack everyone. And so uh, there's a really great sequence where humans and regular zombies team up against the bonies and um, eventually all the, the regular zombies managed to be reclaimed. They managed to reclaim their humanity through the powers of love and acceptance and understanding, which is a great message. Um, and also probably more of a sharper metaphor than it was 10 years ago when this movie came out. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun movie. It's a fun take on the zombie uh, genre and uh, Nicholas Holt and Teresa Palmer are really fun in it. So yeah, and it was shot in Montreal. It was shot in um, Montreal. That's right. And the actress who's in the final scene, she was in a short film I did back in the day. Is that right? Yeah, just the very last scene with Rob Corddry. <laughs> yes, who's the zombie best friend of Nicholas Holt. That's right. Yeah, that was a Another, good period for Rob Corddry movies, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and like Steve Carell, a Daily Show alum. Yeah. So there you go. All right, Tim, you're number two, please. My number two is Kissing Jessica Stein from mm -hmm. 2001, uh, which is a movie I saw much later. Um, my wife, Sandy, introduced me to this movie. I think I saw it maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, it is uh, it's a, les a lesbian romantic comedy. Um, it was written and co-produced by Jennifer Westfelt and Heather Jurgensen. Mm -hmm. um, it was based on an off-Broadway, a scene, I think one scene in an off-Broadway play they did called Lipstick. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it, the lead character, Jessica Stein, she's a neurotic copy editor at a New York City newspaper. Mm -hmm. And she's um, under a lot of pressure in her personal life because her brother has just gotten engaged. Her best friend's about to start a family. And her mother keeps pressuring her about, has she found a boyfriend yet? When's she going to get married? Um, and she has had, you know, a number of relationships with men, um, and, but she's just hasn't found the right, right person yet. So she looks through the personal ads and there's this poetic quote from like one of her favorite poets about relationships in this personal ad that she looks at. Um, the catch is it's women seeking women. Mm -hmm. Um, so she reaches out. Um, to the woman who placed the ad, who's uh, Helen Cooper, who mm -hmm. works at an art gallery. And she's also had relationships with men that have been unsatisfying, unfulfilling for her. And she's attracted to women and she reaches out and they start having a relationship. And then the interesting thing is um, Jessica Stein, she has her... Uh, has her brother's uh, wedding coming up and she's too embarrassed to invite Helen to the wedding. Mm -hmm. And so that causes a rift with them. Uh, but then eventually they, 
they do make up, they get back together, but then it doesn't really work out. So uh, it is, <laughs> it is in the vein of, of romantic comedies that we've seen, you know, think like when Harry met Sally, they're dating often, but then it doesn't work out. They mm-hmm. get back together, then it doesn't work out. So it's kind of traditional in, in that sense, but it was unconventional, especially for the time, I think back in 2001, um, openly discussing like bisexuality and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, be, being in this different type of relationship and, and being open to that. Um, and it's a really funny movie and it's very similar to, I think the humor to 40 year old virgin. Cause it seems like you've got some people who've definitely have improv backgrounds or theater backgrounds. Uh, cause the acting, the comedic acting is really sharp in it. And, uh, it's hilarious. And I think it was one of John Hamm's first, uh, movies as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think he was in a relationship with the lead actress or maybe the, one of the co-producers, I, I forget, but you get to see John Hamm early on. It's more of a, just a really small supporting role. And, uh, yeah, I, I'd say it's, it's definitely worth watching. It's, it is hilarious. Like the jokes are really well-timed and, but it also says more about, you know, being true to yourself and, and, uh, not being embarrassed by what you feel is right in your life or what you, you feel true to. Yeah. Uh, J- Jennifer Westfelt, um, her and John Hamm worked together for like, like years and years and years because he always pops up in her movies um another one of hers i saw was uh friends with kids which it's an interesting movie but it's not great however it was the first time i like i saw john ham outside of the or at least consciously saw john like after he became famous for mad men where he's just like actively funny even when he's like not trying to be funny like there's a scene where he's like going up in an elevator with a bunch of people and it's just funny watching him like even though he's like barely taking part in the scene (laughs) but he's like he's he's a really he's a surprisingly funny guy considering he's like big dumb handsome mcgee but um (laughs) i find him funny in those ads actually though oh the yeah this the uber eats or skip the dishes skip the dishes yeah uh for my number two is actually along similar lines um although it's not strictly billed as a romantic comedy it it feels very much in the vein of the romantic comedy and it's pineapple express and it's it stars seth rogan and james franco seth rogan is a process server he is miserable his only outlet in life is getting pot from his dealer saul played by franco and like that's the only way he can cope is um just you know smoking up through a series of let's say unfortunate uh bad timing incidents uh he and Saul have to go on the run they're on the run from uh the local drug lord <laughs> played hilariously uh deadpan by Gary Cole uh <laughs> and uh I mean, it, it's it is a relationship. They are building a relationship because at the beginning, like uh, Dale, the Seth Rogen character, wants nothing to do with Saul uh, except get the pot, get the pot, get gone. Saul's always trying to be his friend, or always trying to try to get him to hang out. Um, but through the course of the film, like a genuine sweet friendship is built to the point where Dale 
risks his own life to save Saul from the exploding drug lab. And, uh, you know, you see, you see Seth Rogen emerge carrying James Franco in his arms uh, as, as the building is burning. And it's, it's like such a sweeping, like, it really is like a romantic moment, like the saving, <laughs> saving the damsel in distress from, <laughs> from near death. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it, it is the start of a beautiful friendship at the end, even though everyone is like badly beaten up and burned and charred. And in the case of Danny McBride shot several times. Um, but I, I, it really, it does have like the heart and patter and um, just feel of a romantic comedy. Um, even though it's not a romance in it, uh, the, the two fellas in it don't make any, it, it just, it feels like, it feels like a romantic comedy. And I think if you go back and look at it in, with those eyes, I think, I think more people would see it, even though it's like a brutally, you know, deadpan, hilarious, like Cheech and Chong drug movie. It's, I think it's a romantic comedy at its heart, but that's maybe that's okay. just me. <laughs> That's what makes it more devastating that they've broken up in real life. Um. Well, I mean, that has to do too with James Franco being an alleged degenerate. But um, anyway, yeah. moving right along. <laughs> um, Tim, what's your, your last pick? So my number one is Punch Drunk Love from mm-hmm. 2002. So yeah, I thought about this movie more recently because uh, I rewatched it when we were talking about our favorite performances in Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just gets better each time I watch it. Um, I saw it years ago when it first came out, but watching it again, I was just, I found it absolutely compelling. And I think it, it's probably in Paul Thomas Anderson's probably top three films, in my opinion. And it's the performances in um by adam sandler and emily watson in this weird romance they have i just think it's really captivating um so adam sandler plays barry egan he's an entrepreneur um who's in this industrial park and he sells like themed toilet plungers um Mm -hmm. comes into work one day wearing a suit everybody's like why are you wearing a suit Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're selling toilet plungers when you first see him, you know, that's a bit of misdirection because he's wearing a suit. You're like, okay, he's a businessman here, but he is a businessman, but he's selling mm-hmm. toilet plungers. Mm-hmm. And you just see his his life and sort of how sad it is. Um, he has seven overbearing sisters who just like emotionally abuse him constantly. Um, at the same time, they do, I guess, in their weird way, care about him. They want him to get into a relationship, find love. Um, so one of the sisters, uh, um, uh, Lena Leonard, uh, played by Emily Watson, works with one of the sisters. And she reaches out because she saw a picture of Barry. And uh, so she wants to meet him. And, and they meet. And things go a bit slowly at first. And um, Barry just has... It just ends up embroiling a lot of issues. He just makes all the wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so lonely. He calls like this phone sex line, which they try to extort money from him. Um, they're led by Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, character, mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. in like Utah, just you know, trying to extort money from any of the poor schlubs who are calling into this phone sex line. Um, so he's in 
he has a lot of uh, a lot of problems there. Um, but then he does find love with uh, with Lena, and it's just such a, a weird love. They're both you can you know that the Adam Sandler character is damaged from the beginning. He has you know he's li- living a sad life. You can see that throughout. Mm. Um, but then he meets his soulmate in Lena Leonard, played by Emily Watson, and she has like one of the craziest like romantic comedy lines. Mm-hmm. ever <laughs> where she says i want to chew your face and i want to scoop <laughs> out your eyes and yeah. i want to eat them and chew them and suck on them <laughs> yeah and it's just like sold yep <laughs> you know <laughs> when you see that you're just it shouldn't work but it does it's like you feel like wow this is a sweet romance <laughs> even though it's so dark what she's saying to him right and yeah, uh, yeah. so that was probably on my mind when I came up with this topic on conventional rom-coms. Cause I think that just like epitomizes it right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a good line. Uh, d- definitely not to be repeated. <laughs> um, my last pick is uh, a movie I'm very fond of. Um, it's called serendipity. It came out in 2001. Um, it's, 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 it's a weird romantic comedy because it essentially keeps the two romantic partners apart until they meet at the beginning of the movie and they stay apart until the very end of the movie. And it's John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. They meet at uh, Bloomingdale's one Christmas and uh, they, they both decide they're going to put their phone numbers out into the universe. He writes it in the, in a copy of love in a time of cholera. She writes it on like a $10 bill and they put their numbers, phone numbers out into the universe. And if they're meant to be together, they will each, somehow magically find the, their, each other's phone number or one of them will find it and call the other. Uh, this does not work out. Years later, they are both with different people until the John Cusack character, he is, um, he's about to get married. And so, of course, on his mind is like, well, what that beautiful English woman I met, you know, <laughs> I wonder if I could still find her phone number in like the last 72 hours. I'm a single person. Um and he, so he goes on this journey. Uh, there's great, I mean, it's a great supporting cast because you have Jeremy Piven, again, another problematic figure, unfortunately, um, playing John Cusack's friend. You have Molly Shannon, though, definitely not problematic, Molly Shannon, as Kate Beckinsale's friend. And you have a great supporting performance uh, by Eugene Levy in his post-American Pie renaissance. Um, it's, it's funny to me how there's vintages of Eugene Levy. There's like SCTV era. There's like American Pie era. And now there's uh, Schitt's Creek era uh eugene levy but uh this is in his post-american pie renaissance as uh, he plays the clerk at bloomingdale's this acerbic clerk at, at bloomingdale's he's so great um he <laughs> he barely cares about what's going on but he's also ultra dedicated to his job um yeah so it's just it, it's it's fun it, it asks like questions about you know do we put too much emphasis on like soulmates and romance and uh, like magic and, you know, is, is it not just enough to like find someone we want to be with? Unfortunately, the movie does lean into the fact that yes, there is such a thing as soulmates and magic is real, but uh, because they, they somehow man- magically managed to find each other after everything in the end, but the journey is fun and uh, it's good character work. It, it isn't too syrupy or saccharine, but um, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun movie. And uh, I give it two thumbs up. Oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm taking it back. I'm taking, I'm, t- I'm 
bring you back two thumbs up. Okay. Let's uh, do it. But they each <laughs> just did one thumb. So it's, uh, it's a bit much for you to do two thumbs up. I think that's, you, you know what? It's interesting though. Um, if you remember back, this is way off topic, but if you remember back, if both Siskel and Ebert give it thumbs up, it was two thumbs up. But if only one of them gave a movie thumbs up, you would see it on the movie poster. It'd be thumbs up, Robert uh, Roger Ebert or Gene Siskel. But if it was two yeah. thumbs up, it'd be, it would say two thumbs up, Siskel and Ebert. So that's how you knew. If it was two thumbs yeah. up, you knew it got the thumb from both of them. Yeah, it was kind of deceptive in the marketing there when they just say thumbs up. Yes, but I mean, all marketing is deceptive. That's a topic for another day. <laughs> we will take a break and come back with our review of the worst person in the world. You're listening to End Credits on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As the four winds blow my wits through the door It's been the worst day since yesterday Falling down to you sweet ground when a flowers they bloom Well it's there I'll be found Hurry back to me My wild calling It's been the worst Vad heter du för mig? Julia. Heter Eivind. Eivind. Icke se det. Och vilka är det? För jag bara finner det på Facebook och så. Ja, ja, ja. Det är lurt. Okej. Okej. Ha det. Ha det. Vi var inte utrolla. Vi var inte det. Vi var inte det. Nej. Okay, and that was a clip from The Worst Person in the World. It is the new film from Joe Chim Trier, and it stars Renate uh, Rensiv, Anders Danielson Lee, and Herbert Nordrum. And uh, if you are unawares, this was nominated for two Oscars this year for Best International Feature and Best Original Screenplay. And it has been, uh, it was at TIFF as well. And so there's been a lot of buzz around the worst person in the world, which you would think, well, that's weird. Because given the title, uh, why would you want to watch a movie about the worst person in the world? (laughs) But it is very worth watching. So, um, I mean, Tim, why don't you kick us off by talking about uh, your your desire to watch and learn about the worst person in the world? Yeah, I'd I'd heard some buzz about about the movie and that it was nominated for best international and for best original screenplay. And I think back when we were reviewing licorice pizza, I was reading about Paul Thomas Anderson and he was mentioning what his favorite movies of the year were. And I think worst person in the world was right at the, at or near the top of his list. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, yeah, this would be interesting to, to check out. Didn't really know much. I know this is part of an Oslo trilogy Mm-hmm. Um, from the director. I haven't seen the other two films. No, neither uh, have I, I. I know the actress, uh, Ren- Renate 
Reinsva, she won um, Best Actress at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, and so I had a lot of buzz going in and uh, I really, really, I love this movie. I thought it was, it's just a great character study. Um, and yeah, I don't know if I would say romantic comedy right off the <laughs> bat, but when you think about it, it maybe is in that sort of, you know, another problematic figure, uh, Woody Allen sort of way. And mm. I don't know, just where watch a movie like Hannah and her sisters, there's all kinds of drama, but there's the comedy too. And it feels like these are real characters and this is their real life. And I, I really like the lead character, um, Julie, um, cause she's, you know, in her late twenties when it starts turning 30 and she's, she's gone through a lot of a lot of changes just we can all relate or a lot of us mm-hmm. can relate you know mm-hmm. she starts off as a medical student then she switches from from that to another branch more psychology then she becomes a photographer and she's just she's unsure exactly where she wants to go with her her career and that also translates to her relationships um mm-hmm. number of boyfriends uh you know she dates a professor at one point and then she dates a model and while she's at a party with the model she meets sort of the love oxel oxel the love of her life oxel <laughs> will oxel vilman or wilman um who's this famous comic artist he does these like you know crumb style comics mm. right mm. underground comics um that are politically incorrect um but he's been doing them for years so now he has some problems because people are looking back at what he's done and analyzing it. But, mm-hmm. um, and she, and the interesting thing is Julie's not even really a big fan of his, of his work. She said it was, you know, vaguely misogynistic or something she says at one point, mm-hmm. but she, she loves him and they end up in, uh, in a relationship. And it, I just love how it just sort of follows her flow and, Mm. then she gets into creative writing and she has a little bit of success with a blog post she writes and but she's not satisfied in the relationship Mm. and then it goes from her with oxel you know in this Mm -hmm. you know um upper middle class existence to she fall she crashes a party one night because she's just kind of bored with with her life so she crashes this wedding reception and she meets this um other gentleman einwind who's mm-hmm. turns out he's <laughs> he's a a barista in um in oslo where this takes place and she she's just drawn to him and uh it's very interesting you know how she you know in that instance once again chooses difference chooses change but chooses love with einwind and um mm-hmm. uh, there's a really cool scene in it where time stops mm-hmm. uh, seen that we've seen that device in other movies but time stops when she's with axel and she leaves to go see einwind and they mm-hmm. they live or they, they they fall in love and that's a really interesting scene. And then one of the most unusual and interesting scenes that makes this, I think an unconventional romantic comedy is it's in the chapter actually called cheating mm-hmm. where Julie and Einwein spend the night together, sort of pushing the boundaries 
of yeah. like what is cheating, but they're not really cheating there. And it's very odd. It's like I'll sniff <laughs> your I'll sniff your armpit, you sniff my armpit. That's right. not cheating, you know. I'll lick your eyebrow, you lick my eyebrow. That's not cheating, right? Yeah. So which is I, it's so weird because like some like as, as you said like they're sniffing each other um like smelling each other's sweat and you know watching each other go to the bathroom like these weirdly intimate moments and it's like yeah but we're not cheating right <laughs> <laughs> it's they found a loophole right yeah. right and i mean it's not con- it's not conventional cheating um but you you would say like these things that they're doing together like even the fact just like hanging out all night at a you know at a wedding reception um you know talking like sitting on the bed in in like the coat room and and talking um you know it's it's like full of you, you know if your significant other came home and told you like this is what they spent the night you would obviously think about like <laughs> if it's not like actual cheating like it's definitely emotional cheating um yeah. and probably intellectual cheating but if if you if you're not even thinking about those lines it's, you're definitely already thinking it's a prelude to cheating um but I mean, these are these are kind of like the interesting conversations around this movie too. And I, I'm glad you mentioned Woody Allen in a way, like not for the factor of his existence, but like the for for the like his work. Like a lot of Woody Allen movies, at least the ones where like he's kind of the romantic protagonist. You know, he, he's often not a very likable person. He's often like neurotic in excess, and he's always thinking about like. He's, he's often thinking about like these situations where he's like in a, a relationship um, with, a, you know, uh, you know, a three dimensional woman who is obviously too good for him. Um, but he's often thinking about himself as like, I'm the one who's trapped. <laughs> I'm the one who's feeling suffocated in this. <laughs> um, is it there something better for me? Um, and, and I've seen a lot of, I was reading a lot of critiques of, of the worst person in the world. And it's not like, Oh, she's flighty. She's selfish. She's and, and it's like, well, why is it okay for Woody and it's not okay for poor Julie? But I mean, I I don't even read it that way either. Um, she's like it, the the film sets it up. It's like she's clearly having troubles trying to figure herself out. So how the heck is she supposed to figure out like what she wants when she can't even figure out like career wise speaking what she wants to do with herself? And then she's she's constantly, and it's interesting. The two big relationships here are Axel and um, even uh, Axel is, is someone who like wants things. He's like a success and he's, he's looking to like have uh, to go further in their personal relationship to like, you know, maybe settle down and have children. And then she moves on to this other guy who's like just happy being a barista. He doesn't want kids and he doesn't seem to really want anything. And it's, it's kind of a Goldilocks situation. And I was thinking about that all the way through this. It's like, you know, uh, Axel is too hot. Even this too cold, <laughs> you know, she needs something that's just right. And, uh, you know, and, and how, you know, I, I think if people look in themselves, they're always thinking about this, that when they're romantic relationships, it's like, they're always thinking about what is this relationship missing instead of thinking about what does this relationship have? Um, and you know, seeing, I think if, if you're walking into this and you're watching Julian and, and trying to struggle with all these questions and you're thinking, boy, she's terror. If, if you're really thinking along the lines of the title of the film, the worst person in the world, the, the title's kind of ironic, but if you're walking out of this going, wow, she really is the worst person in the world. You're kind of doing a little self-hating because I think 
if you are honest with yourself, there's a bit of Julie in all of us. And I think that's what the movie's daring you to reconcile with. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the title sort of tongue in cheek, you know, mm-hmm. sort it's yeah. Is she really the worst person in the world? You know, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> you know? <laughs> maybe like Vladimir Putin's the worst person in the world or somebody, you know, <laughs> she's yeah. not the worst person in the world, but she's the way we conflate lately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way we conflate these things sometimes too. Right. Cause she's a, and she doesn't, want to be a mother right which mm-hmm. is interesting mm-hmm. it strikes me like lost daughter which we uh reviewed you know that's right. another thing it, that it, maybe she's the would be they could have called that the worst person in the world right yeah because yeah it, it's like the expectations of society and um she's not she's not she's not into that and and with uh i i find there she tries to be but she really isn't and then you see at the end sort of the irony of the ending there and um Mm. she's back with back to photography at the end and it's just sort of like she still hasn't found what she wants but maybe she has at the end you know maybe she's doing something she she likes to do finally and maybe she'll now she'll be comfortable in her own skin and find that relationship Mm -hmm. that um and i think she's in axel's apartment at the end too yeah I yeah, think that's and- Axel's old apartment. So it's it, it's kind of like because there's this line he has um, about you know how he doesn't want to be a like just live on like as a memory because there's a uh, spoiler alert uh, Axel does get sick with cancer later in the film, but you know he talks about not wanting to be a memory and not wanting to live on as a memory, um, and so I mean that's kind of like the ultimate expression of that is that she she moves into his place and where she does seem to be genuinely happy kind of just being alone and uh doing her photography thing um you know she she seems to have an easier time living with the memory of axel as opposed to living with a real life axel which is uh like incredibly bittersweet and almost a bit punishing like self-punishing self-hating in a way which um the film kind of teases that a little when she she looks out the window and sees um, even with uh, with a baby and uh, the baby's mother and um, yeah it's it's I I don't I don't entirely buy that she's a selfish person just given the way it ends it just she she is kind of wallowing in her sort of failures to commit at the end and then really kind of dark and bittersweet way yeah yeah and yeah and yeah she it's like she can finally connect with axel yeah after his cancer diagnosis too right she's yeah like, they're finally like <laughs> which connected you know <laughs> i mean it's so weird it's like now axel has an expiration date so she can like kind of commit herself to him um which yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, sounds just so, so perfectly dark, but I mean, it is, um, it, it does speak to like, it, you know, this regret in a way that, you know, well, you know, maybe, and, and none of this is spoken. It's all like kind of carried out in the performances, you know, what if she had, you know, stuck it out with Axel and because his, his, she meets his brother and he explains, you know, um, it happened very, very quickly. And then Axel explains how he had like back pain and, you know, he had 
jaundice and, and you know by the time he actually drought drought uh dragged himself to the hospital or to the doctor it was it was too late to any, get anything and i think as any red-blooded straight man will admit you only end up going to see the doctor once your partner girlfriend wife has nagged you enough to actually make a job of it yeah <laughs> so so um you know it, there's that i think there's implicit in that too it's like if she had like stuck it out could she have you know caught it early enough that you know made him to go see a doctor and maybe he could have gotten better and and lived um so i mean this is i don't think she's a selfish person at all i think she's like a, a she's she's certainly driven by by not wanting to let opportunities go by but she's also driven by um you know just you know a lot of i think a lot of regret too yeah. especially in the end yeah and like what you're saying before like there's a little bit of her in in all of us mm-hmm. when you you know if we debate is she a selfish person is she not mm-hmm. in a way where you know we all do things for selfish motives you know yeah. it's a real cynical way of looking at things but i remember i had a teacher who mentioned that it was like we all do things you know you could be the most come across most altruistic person you're doing charity work but at the same time that makes you feel good right you're doing mm-hmm. things you know it's a it's kind of cynical way of looking at it but that's <laughs> that's you know she she's doing things that you know she thinks are going to make her feel good but i think just you know right the decision making isn't the best maybe you know and stuff like that and i've, I've experienced this, this in my own life too it's like if you and it's kind of explained right at the top of the film. Like you're just inundated with so much information, um, you know, whether it's from like news sites, whether it's from like social media, whether it's just like interacting with people, you have this feeling. And I think we all experience it at some point where if you are not moving, um, you are not living. So if you are not like finding the next great career opportunity, if you're not finding the next great romantic interest, if you're not, you know, going on, kick-ass vacations or <laughs> settling down and having a family. like your life is stagnant your life is pointless because then you flip on instagram and you see like all these people doing great stuff and cool things and moving on to other stuff and so if you're not growing and changing even if just the point is like to to do something else you feel stagnant you feel like a failure and that's a pressure we put on ourselves um because I mean, it, yeah, it's selfish, but it's also, you know, an act of trying to prove our worth to the grander society. Because if you are posting on Instagram that you just got this great new job and great new opportunity or whatever, um, I have to show you mine as well. Um, it, you know, who cares if, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, who cares if, you know, you've been doing the same job for 18 years or whether or not you, are, are moving on to something different but at the same time it does all matter to us and we do all take that information we do all we, we do all of us make that calculation um even you know no matter how illogical it is or if we're not changing things up if we're not doing something different then we're stagnant we're boring we're not maximizing life as it should be and um i think that's a very kind of millennial and younger calculation um that maybe some older people don't necessarily understand too. I think it's true for, for most people. Mm. Um, and 
yeah and when when you get older maybe you aren't aren't as involved in that and thinking i need to change i need to do this your fomo isn't as high <laughs> fomo at, that's right your fomo isn't as high <laughs> at that point yeah but um yeah and that's that that's with julie like it makes it a really interesting movie all these decisions she makes and all these changes she makes but you know you, you start to think you know maybe if she had just i want to say settled maybe settled down doesn't maybe that's too maybe that's condescending but maybe she had mm. just slowed down a bit mm. you know she mm-hmm. would have um found more what she was looking for earlier on and it's interesting that she goes back to photography at the end because that was one of her earlier Mm -hmm. um, pursuits too right Mm -hmm. so she uh she maybe um maybe there is some light at the end that she's gone back to something that she enjoys you know and also what she was doing when she meets axel um which is interesting uh again given the course of it and she kind of rediscovers it as she as you know she's hanging out with axel as he's sick and dying so it's you know that's a lot of implications there too um i i do want to highlight like the the filmmaking in this is technically excellent um that scene you mentioned with the the everyone frozen in in the moment as she's as she i mean that was just beautifully executed um and, and the colors, like it's it's so, the colors in that are so rich and vibrant, and I always notice color in a movie because a lot of the movies that get made now are just like so drab and so, um, like so like the hues are all turned down. But yeah, you know, so when you see something colorful just like pop off the screen, you really notice it. And um, you in in that scene in particular, you really it really did feel like you could like sort of reach out and touch, um reach out and touch the the scene and that scene was really good but also the scene later where uh they're taking magic mushrooms and she oh, has yeah. this kind of she has this kind of vision of uh herself as like a like a flabby middle-aged woman and she's like being confronted by all her exes and i don't know if if trier used like a higher frame rate there it felt like it was a higher frame rate because it, like everything just was just sort of popping off screen like yeah. when you watch like something that was filmed in a higher frame rate, it just everything seems so, so like crystal clear. So, um, like it, like as I, yeah, as I said, it was just like popping off screen, and I, I found myself like just very hypnotized. I mean, also it gets into like some <laughs> completely weird, yeah. um, body horror stuff, and <laughs> there's the the Bobcat character, the cartoon character Bobcat turns up at one point. Yeah, um, it's it's just um. It, it was like trippy, funny, disturbing, um, all in kind of one little like two minute segment. And it was just like so vivid jumping off the screen, too. I don't know what camera tricks they were using there, but um, I I loved every second of that sequence. Yeah, that was that was cool. And yeah, it, it drives home her uh, father issue she has, right? When she right. throws a tampon at her dad. <laughs> Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. It was just, it's it just so wild. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's good. It's like, it, it's episodic. You know, it doesn't have to be in there necessarily in the movie for the like, plot yeah. wise or whatever. But that's what I like about a movie like this. It just sort of, it, it, it goes in whatever direction, you know, and it studies the characters as they go in these different directions. Yeah. Um, 
just like licorice pizza is like that too right it's like hard to say oh this is about this this and this or you know this point a to point b you know this is just like i like that more meandering filmmaking i really like that especially for a romantic comedy because romantic comedies are typically so focused on how people get together um, and what you really do, like when you get to the end of a, of a romantic comedy, what you're essentially seeing is like the end of the first act of a relationship. Um, this actually like by, by like showing basically scenes from her life over a period of, you know, a couple of years, um, you're not really getting you, you do get the meat cutes, but you're not really focused on that you you jump from that to like sort of in the middle of the relationship and then you see the ends of relationships too it's you know by not getting like sort of the whole story in this, this kind of like linear um point a to point b to point c way you you sort of get a, a more of a, a a greater sense of the, these people and what their issues are than you might if this was like kind of a more linear movie that wasn't um split into various vignettes of of different you know sizes and types and styles and points of view it's 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 fascinating also because julie's in most of the scenes as well you have to figure a lot of this is pretty subjective it's from her point of view Mm -hmm. and you know if, if that's the case she's clearly not thinking well of herself either no yeah she definitely has definitely has self esteem issues Mm -hmm. um and I think this movie is interesting in seeing Oslo, just seeing a, you know, a, a different city, seeing mm-hmm. it, it, it showcases it um, throughout. And it is part of the Oslo trilogy. Um, it's the third part. So it'd be interesting to go back and see those other films. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's interesting. And, and the thing that's cool, I think more people now, maybe it's with streaming are more receptive to uh, international features. Mm-hmm. and i'm mm-hmm. actually becoming more receptive myself so it's 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 good you know yeah I, I think this movie like if it was in english would have gotten way more attention i think than it did mm-hmm. um, maybe if it had a different title as well <laughs> but um uh, i i think it, it's really cool when you can go you know travel virtually to oslo and just see 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 something different and mm-hmm. you know but see all the, a lot of the same things, you know, they have the same sort of coffee shops, same sort of, and then it's the, the universal issues we all face. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that. Um, I like that. We got to visit Oslo for a bit in the film as well. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great little movie. Um, and, and I, I think it's, it's, it's well worth checking out. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> what, what would you rename it, Adam? What would your title be? <laughs> I wouldn't touch this with with my grubby uh, Canadian hands. I would leave it exactly how it is. Um, okay. Watching the clock here. I do have to call it a day for end credits. Unfortunately, we hope you liked our show. If you want to listen to it again, you can find us on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it on the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify, search for End Credits on CFRU, and you'll find that playlist. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, you are not the worst person in the world, but where can I'm people close, find you? Though. <laughs> where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> 
uh, flash in the deadpan on social media and uh, please let me know if I'm a good person or a bad person and I'll <laughs> Tim lives and die lives and dies by your praise. Please. Um, <laughs> I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. If you want to hear from the election candidates, that's a pretty good place to be in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits. And we will see you then. Thank you.